Welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast, where we share the stories and thoughts of church history's heroes to inspire and equip the church of today. I'm your host, Leila Nahavandi. We hope you enjoy this episode. to the Eagle and Child podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today and I'm super excited to introduce my next guest who is no stranger to the Eagle and Child podcast. He was actually on our first ever episode. Um, He is a genius for all things church history. He has a degree in history, a degree in theology. Uh, He teaches church history for Theos University and he actually helped me come up with the idea of the Eagle and Child podcast. Uh, He's also a missionary to Haiti, running a Bible college in Haiti. And right as we speak, he is in the middle of a massive thunderstorm in Haiti. So not sure what's going to happen. There keeps being, you know, massive interruptions with the internet and all that sort of stuff. But hopefully we'll be able to get through this episode. Um, But good to see you, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) Thank you, my friend. Um, Yeah, I hope you're okay. I hope you don't get flooded out for the duration of this interview. After that, I don't really mind what happens, but no, I'm just joking, just joking. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, it's good to see you. And today we are actually looking at two of the, the, I don't think we've ever featured a woman on our podcast yet, and we're actually looking at two of the earliest women in church history that we know of, Felicity and Perpetua. So very excited to dive into that today. John, can you tell us a little bit about who these ladies are? Where did they come from? How did they come to faith? What's their background? Yeah, so Perpetua and Felicity are were catechumens, so free baptized Christians who were learning the faith, and they converted to Christianity at a time when uh, conversion to Christianity was illegal, and wow. so they ended up being arrested, and Perpetua kept a prison diary, which formed the core of a document uh, called The Passion of Perpetua and Felicity, that was later circulated around. Um, the document tells the story of their imprisonment, and then an editor added the story of how they were executed, along wow. with a few other catechumens in the early Christian church for their faith. But they lived in uh, Carthage, North Africa, in about 203 AD. Wow. And who were they connected with? Like, how do we know of these ladies? Were they connected with any sort of, you know, um, big people in the church? I think they were. I know that they're connected with Tertullian, but yeah, how, how do we sort of come to sort of honor them and, and know of them? The, they were probably members of a group called the Montanists. Uh, okay. We say that because the document has a kind of charismatic vision emphasis. Mm. There are a lot of visions that take place in the document. And we know that the Montanists were kind of like early church charismatics. They were the mm. ones that emphasized spiritual gifts at a time when uh, some they were kind of fading in, in other parts of the church. And uh, for that reason, a lot of people have connected them to Tertullian, who lived in the same area, was an early church father, and also was influenced by the Montanists. And he may have uh, been the unnamed editor behind the document and may have edited the document in order to show examples of Montanist Christianity and, and basically prove that these people weren't heretics because they had been called heretics by many other Christians because of their emphasis on prophecy and other things. 
Um, so Tertullian may, may have been uh, associated with them. It may be the editor behind the, the work. Mm. And I think some of their ideas, like if we go back in, uh, into reading these things, some of their ideas were definitely condemned by the church. And, um, you know, um, for some reasons they are not um, entirely kosher. But of these two, Perpetua and Felicity, we know that Augustine himself also sort of referred back to them and their story um, often. And so we know, especially of these ladies, that their testimony and their visions and stuff, they were legit in the church moving forward as well. Even if um, Montanus and and a few others um, weren't necessarily accepted, um, this, this document definitely was in that sort of orthodox sphere, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, Christians really loved this document and Perpetua mm. and Felicity became kind of early church heroes. Mm. And so uh, the document, you know, they were definitely treated as Orthodox Christians, mm. whether or not they were Montanists. Yeah. Um, and like you said, Montanism was a pretty uh, varied movement. Like there were a mm. lot of different streams and mm-hmm. not everybody accepted the extremes that Montanus mm. himself got into. Yes, and uh, yeah. the do- But the document kind of, may have been Tertullian's attempt to rehabilitate the Montanist image a little bit by saying, hey, these are people of exemplary faith. Um, Mm. So, uh, you know, let's uh, let's not write off all the Montanists as as heretics. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So you were talking a little bit about this document, the prison diary. Um, What are the sort of main works that we know of from these ladies um, and the main events that came out of their life? So what do we know of? looking back on church history? Really, all we know about these ladies is what's written in this document, because this is the only mm-hmm. document, a primary source that refers to them. And yeah. we know that they were uh, converts to Christianity at a time when that was illegal. Uh, mm-hmm. We know that uh, they were from very different social backgrounds. Uh, there were five people arrested, three men and two women. Two of them were mm-hmm. slaves. Perpetua was a noblewoman. She was well-educated enough to be able to write this document, yeah. which was unusual for a woman at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other two were freemen. And then a sixth, their pastor, Satyrus, later turned himself in. Yeah. Uh, so we know uh, that they were kind of from all different backgrounds in the church, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And uh, we know what Perpetua wrote about herself, which is that she had three different visions in prison. And mm-hmm. she also had uh, three different encounters with her father, which were quite heartbreaking uh, in, their, in their different ways. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit more maybe about um, these visions? Obviously, we're saying like this is, you know, late second century, early third century, and, um, you know, this is a time when there's, you know, the charismatic gifts in the church are available and, and, and flourishing, and we see, you know, people are having visions and people are accepting these as visions from God, and then we have something else, like, as you said, um, her interactions with her father. Can you go a little bit deeper into the content of you know these visions and and those interactions with her dad in the in this document sure the document prison uh, perpetuous diary kind of lays out three encounters with her father mm-hmm. uh interspersed with the three visions that she has and so mm-hmm. in the first argument that she has with her father um, her father basically orders her uh to uh give up this you know christianity thing because She's basically been put under house arrest and she's 
he considers her to be under his authority. Roman fathers really had absolute authority over their, their households. And her refusal to renounce Christ uh, infuriates him. He actually lunges at her and says he tries to gouge her eyes out. Wow. Which seems like a very yeah. strange reaction unless you take it in context of, like, she's really bringing shame upon him in that cultural context mm-hmm. in his own house, under his own roof. Uh, but So after she has that encounter, she seals her fate by being baptized. And at that point, she's arrested and taken to prison. And her brother comes to her in prison and counsels her to seek a vision from God to know what's going to happen to her, uh, whether she's going to survive or whether she's going to be killed. And so so she has a vision that night of uh, this ladder with all kinds of weapons attached to it, spikes and other things. And there's a dragon at the base of the ladder. And her pastor is at the top of the ladder saying that he's waiting for her to make it to the top and uh, to avoid the dragon. So So she's, declares in faith that the dragon won't be able to do anything to her in Jesus' name. She steps on the dragon's head and climbs the ladder. And then she gets to the top and she sees a shepherd up there in a big garden. And there's all these people standing around uh, attending the shepherd. And then they all say amen. And she wakes up and she takes that as a sign uh, that she is going to die, but that she's going to go to be with the Lord uh, immediately after that. And so after that, she has uh, a second encounter with her father. By this point, her father's much more Mm. conciliatory. He basically just pleads with her. He falls at her Mm. feet and asks her to think about her child. She has a a little boy who's less than two years old. And um, Vetua basically just tells him that whatever happens is God's will, and she trusts Mm. God. And she's condemned to die by wild beasts along with the others in the arena is a bit unusual because uh, that was typically the plight of slaves not roman mm. citizens and so it Amazing. shows the kind of harshness with which mm. christians are being treated by this point yeah uh, at that point she has a second vision she sees her little brother who had already died some years before and he's in this yeah. kind of shabby place he's trying to drink but he's not tall enough to reach the fountain and then she prays for him and he eventually uh she sees him playing with other children in a much happier place And she takes that to mean that her brother had been in some kind of purgatorial state and through her prayers had been uh, moved over to heaven. And so that's actually the earliest uh, example of the idea of purgatory that we find in church history. A lot of people uh, were influenced by that vision. Uh, So after that, she has a third encounter with her father. Once again, you know, she refuses to give up her faith. And then uh, the day before she's executed, she sees a third vision where she's in the arena and she's fighting against an Egyptian gladiator. And uh, in the vision, she's a man and she's kind of given the ability to, to fight with him. And she, they have a, this ferocious battle that she knocks the Egyptian down and kills him. And she takes that to mean that she's not actually going to be fighting wild animals in the arena. She's fighting Satan, uh, wow. but she's going to, to have the victory because the Lord is going to give her the victory. Amen. Wow, that's amazing. Incredible. So that's the whole document? That's mo- Well, that's her part. That's the prison diary. And at that point, yeah. the editor comes back in and tells us how everybody, how the story ended, basically. So he tells us that the next day they're, they're led into the arena together. Perpetua goes in singing. And um, basically, each one gets the death that they had asked for. Some of them asked for easy deaths, and they got easy deaths. Wow. Others ask for like harder deaths in order to get a, a, a greater crown and they get what they yeah. ask for too. Uh, Perpetua and Felicity are 
put into the arena with a wild heifer who boards them. And then at the end, all the prisoners who were still alive are brought out to be killed by the, with the sword one by one by a gladiator. He basically runs them through uh, in their chest one by one. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he gets to Perpetua, uh, he, he, he strikes bone. He hits her in the rib and she cries out in pain. And gladiators were like 17-year-old slaves usually. And so this guy is pretty shaken up by her pain and he, he's reluctant to try again. And she actually guides his sword to her throat and he, yeah. he finishes the job at that point. Ugh. And at that point, the editor comes back in and basically tells us that, you know, he writes a short postscript and tells us that they died for God's glory and mm-hmm. we should learn from their example. And, and, and that's basically the end of the document. <laughs> uh, so disgusting. Um, but yeah. To t- yeah, obviously very holy, and I need to be honoring of that. But and so, and we think that was Tertullian that um, that put that together, right? It may have been. Yeah, Tertullian yeah. had written a document about martyrdom a few years earlier, mm. and he all of the major themes, the idea of this world as a prison, the idea of martyrdom being kind of a contest in the arena, mm. all of those ideas appear in Tertullian's earlier book. And so it was either Tertullian or somebody heavily influenced by Tertullian uh, who edited this document. Wow. So fascinating, John. Um, How do you think that this document being, you know, one of the only surviving things that we know about these these women, one of them was pregnant, right? Sorry, just to add that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Felicity was eight months pregnant and actually prayed in prison that she would be able to deliver prematurely so that she would be executed along with the rest because the Romans didn't execute pregnant women, but she didn't want to be left in the prison by herself. Mm. And so uh, God answered her prayer. She had the baby early. Another Christian sister in the church adopted it right away, and she wow. was let in and, and, and died with the rest. Wow. So how do you think that their story, um, obviously quite an intense story about martyrdom and persecution for the sake of the gospel, how do you think that their story um, and and this document sort of relates to us as Christians today. How can it inspire us? How can it influence us? What can it teach us in our Christian witness um, in the 21st century? I think for Christians who are in parts of the world, you know, like maybe Afghanistan or some of the other parts mm-hmm. of the world where Christians actually are facing death or holding on to their faith, uh, it provides encouragement. It provides a model of how to to, to behave like they loved one another really well while they were in prison. Mm, wow. uh, they, they sought the Lord continually in prayer and were bolstered by the spirit while they were in prison. Wow. I think for those of us who live in, in easier climates, you know, uh, like the United States or Australia, where we don't face that kind of persecution, it reminds us of, of really what the essential is. Uh, mm. You know, at, when, it, when it's boiled down to Christianity has to be something that you would be willing to to go that far for and to die for Jesus wow. has to be everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Jesus said, anybody who isn't willing to do that isn't worthy of me. And, wow. uh, you know, so oftentimes in the West, like faith kind of gets mm-hmm. marketed as a consumerist choice or yeah, kind of a personal totally. add on to my, to my mm-hmm. life. Uh, but it, you know, these people gave everything for, for Christ mm-hmm. and for the first three centuries of Christianity, this wasn't necessarily an uncommon experience. Yeah, so I think wow. for us Westerners, it reminds us of, of what the essential is and what our core commitment should be. Wow. 
Yeah, that's so powerful. And I think you as well, John, you're living in Haiti as a missionary and um, I know that, you know, you have people being violent and stuff all around you. Um, how does it encourage you personally, their their witness? How, how does that, um, how do you reflect on that and how does that inspire and encourage and, and strengthen you? Basically in Haiti, uh, we don't have persecution for religious reasons, um, but people you know, uh, have quite a bit of financial hardship and people are following Jesus um, sometimes in contexts where they might never be able to um, really live a comfortable life for, you know, in some cases they're, you know, especially for the young, my heart breaks sometimes for young people in this country because they're looking at an entire life with, with very little opportunity, if any. And so, you know, I've drawn quite a bit of inspiration from watching people walk out their fate here in that kind of context and realizing that I have so many choices that they don't have. And yet in a lot of cases, Mm. people's faith here is a model for me of just, you know, being able to follow Jesus and trust Jesus day by day and just having joy, knowing that Mm. he is sovereign. He's directing our steps and he is worth, you know, whatever we go through. We're not promised uh, heaven on earth, but we we are promised the presence of Jesus in this life, and we're promised mm, unspeakable yeah. glory in the life hereafter. Amen. Wow, that's so inspiring, John. Absolutely amazing. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing um, in Haiti with the Bible College there and the church there. Um, I know on behalf of everyone who is watching and connected with with this podcast, I want to thank you. um, And on behalf of the church, thank you so much for the great work that you're doing there. And we pray for the persecuted church. We pray for the church in nations where, you know, it's it's difficult to minister and you've obviously taken up the call to to follow the calling of God to go there when you don't have to. You could live a comfortable life in the U.S., but you've obviously, you know, um, felt the call of God to go there and to minister in this difficult place. So thank you so much for doing that and I hope that that's an inspiration to other people watching or listening um, to this episode to really just pursue God and the call of God no matter where that, that ends up taking us around the world. Yeah, I appreciate it. But, and I say this sincerely, um, when I, for, when I moved to Haiti, like I honestly thought that I was bringing something here that, that, that was, that was missing. Wow. <laughs> and the more, the longer I've lived here, like the more I've realized, like God wrote, brought me here to bless me through others and, and wow. bless me through the work. Beautiful. And wherever you're in the will of God, wherever God is, um, mm-hmm. you know, wherever you're doing what he wants you to do, there's great joy and peace there, Amen. uh, no matter what the, the surrounding circumstances are. And so, I, you know, mm-hmm. I say, you know, I say it sincerely, I, I, I have been blessed by Haiti. I think much more than I've, I've yeah. blessed Haiti. So. Wow. <laughs> Maybe on your end, I'm sure you've been a massive blessing to them. Um, and thank you so much for that. Um, but John, um, can you tell us a little bit about the quotes? I think the only quotes we probably have are going to come from this document, but some of some of the big quotes that these ladies are known for. Sure. Yeah. So one of the quotes comes from the document itself. Uh, mm. When Perpetua first has her first conversation with her father, he's basically, you know, pleading with her to to give up her faith. And at one point in the in the argument, she just points at a pitcher sitting on a table nearby. And she says, do you see this pitcher? Can it be called anything other than what it is? And he says, no. 
And she says, uh, I can't be called anything other than what I am. I'm a Christian. Mm. So it's just a great little simple statement of yeah. faith. Um, another uh, quote from the document, uh, which I really find very interesting, comes from the scene where they're uh, gored by the wild heifer near the end of the document and says, uh, so Perpetua and Felicity were called back and dressed in unbelted robes. Perpetua was thrown down first and fell on her loins. Then sitting up, she noticed that her tunic was ripped on the side, and so she drew it to cover up her thigh, more mindful of her modesty than her suffering. Then she requested a pin, and she tied up her tousled hair, for it was not right for a martyr to suffer with disheveled hair. Uh, then she got up, and when she saw Felicity crushed to the ground, she went over to her, gave her her hand, and helped her up. And there's just some there's that detail about her tying up her hair, uh, like a lot of historical critics kind of dismiss that as a, an, a, a, an imaginative detail that's added by the editor. But like mm. something about that ring is true to me that like she's still feminine, even in this moment of intense pain, like she wants to die pretty. <laughs> she wants to, <laughs> to make sure her hair is up. Wow. And, uh, she goes yeah, out in style. All for the fashion. I, yeah. <laughs> for some reason that rings true to me. Yeah, I can definitely relate. <laughs> Can't relate yeah. at all, really. I've and never Augustine, had anything close uh, to martyrdom. <laughs> Sorry, Augustine loved this document. Um, he preached at least four sermons on it. <laughs> and in every single sermon, he uh, brings up the same uh, coincidence, which is that Perpetua mm -hmm. and Felicity's names together mean uh, eternal and happiness. And so he yeah. says, uh, by their names, they bear witness to the indivisible gift we are going to receive. May they hold on tight to each other, bind mm -hmm. themselves together. We're not hoping for one without the other. Perpetual, wow. after all, isn't much good if there's no felicity there, and felicity mm -hmm. fades away if it is not perpetual. So he loved to riff off of their names uh, because wow. their names together just happen to mean eternal and happiness. Beautiful. Very beautiful. Um, that's awesome, John. Do you have any – I know that, you know, it was a – horrible sort of season in church history and that sort of thing but um especially for the christians who are being martyred but do you have any fun facts about um their lives or fun facts about them in history or anything that you could you could tell us along those lines i think i've uh given you most of the fun facts already but mm. we've talked about how uh, tertullian uh is probably linked to this document uh we've talked about mm. how the uh idea of of purgatory and the idea of like mm. saints being able to pray for people mm. in purgatory kind of took off of this document wow. um because you know perpetua is seen praying for her brother and her brother is is moved in her vision from one place to the other mm. and uh i'm not a big fan of the doctrine of purgatory i can't find it in the bible um uh, you know so it's kind of a reminder that uh nobody's perfect and you know even our heroes can have uh theological flaws but this document mm -hmm. was very influential especially in the middle ages uh in mm -hmm. influencing the document the doctrine of purgatory and saints intercession mm -hmm. uh and uh we've talked about how augustine was a fan of this document um but augustine mm -hmm. had a special respect for perpetua and felicity because they mm -hmm. were women uh he, he wrote that uh, they deserved a more splendid crown uh, wow. because their feminine nature hadn't been undone under such mm. enormous pressure. He said, you know, there were men too who were martyrs on that day, very brave men, uh, and yet they haven't stamped their names on this day. By Augustine's 
Day. It was a, a saint's day, and it was named for Perpetua and Felicity. Wow. Uh, so they their names were stamped on the day, even though others wow. died that day because of mm. you know the special courage that they showed as women. Wow. And uh, so uh, another influence that the document had and was already was having by Augustine's day was mm. that uh, it kind of led some people to the idea that martyrdom was something to actually pursue. And Augustine mm. had to kind of tamp that down. He was a big fan of this document, but he did not draw that conclusion from, from the document. Yeah. He had to encourage people uh, to not to seek martyrdom, but to basically seek to do God's will for as long mm. as he would leave you on earth. Otherwise, there would be no one to rebuild the church. Augustine lived at a time when barbarians were overrunning the Roman Empire. And he basically said, if you go and hand yourself over to the barbarians to be killed, there's not going to be anybody left to, uh, yeah. to take the church forward. And Another last little thing about uh, Augustine's relationship to this document that I find uh, really interesting is that Augustine loved to point out that by his day, the empire was uh, an officially Christian empire. So he loved to point out that the descendants of the Mm. same people who had called for Perpetua and Felicity's death in the arena uh, Mm. were now going to church and venerating them as as great heroes of the faith. And so it kind of shows you the, the, the power of the gospel to transform mm. a society. There were a couple Twilight. centuries had elapsed, but what a difference had taken yeah. place in the Roman Empire by the time of Augustine. Beautiful. Amazing, John. Thank you so much for sharing that. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap up this episode? Anything else about this document? I think maybe just that people should read this document. It's really easy to yeah. find online. Uh, you can, yeah. I think PBS it's a really quick read. <laughs> uh, has, has a, a great translation available for free online. It's a, yeah, yeah. it's a quick read and mm. it really gives you a great window into how Christians were thinking at the time. Mm. Um, and, and just, uh, the amazing, um, disruptive power that the Christianity had in the Roman empire. You see amazing. these women defying every social code, you know, mm. these uh, at the end, you've got noble, a noble woman and slaves embracing mm. as brothers and sisters, you know, Amazing. praying together in the arena. And and also, you know, just the 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 amazing influence that these women had to be able for Perpetua to be able to stand up to her mm. father and, yeah. and defy his will. in that Roman context was uh, amazingly subversive. And so. Uh, it shows you the power that Christianity has to um, mm. basically overturn all of all the status quo in almost every way. Totally. And it's, yeah, the real raw power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it just shows you, yeah, the depth of it and the reality of it. I, I also love the visions and the, you know, the spiritual gifts in operation and seeing that so early in the church, in church history. It's so beautiful to see. Very inspiring yeah, this is a very to me. Pentecostal, as a Pentecostal friendly <laughs> document, I think. Yes, <laughs> Pentecostals <absolutely>. will love it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. No, awesome. Thank you so much, John, for being with us today, and thank you for diving into um, the first female features that we've we've ever had on the show. <laughs> thank you for suggesting those two. Um, first of many, for, I hope. For the episodes. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we, we're going to do Teresa of Avila soon um, and Hildegard of Bingen. So, yeah, we've got a awesome. few great ones coming up. But thank you for kicking us off with these two um, amazing women and very inspiring women in church history. And thank you also again um, to yourself and everyone around the world who's watching this who are missionaries or people or Christians living in difficult parts of the world, um, living living out the gospel and living out their faith in such a powerful way. Um, um, we honor you and we thank you guys for what you're doing. And hopefully to us in, in uh, easier countries to live out our faith, I, I pray that you guys would be an inspiration to us and, and this story would be an inspiration to us um, to just be reminded of what really matters and to center our faith on on what really matters. So thank you again, John, for being with us today and for everyone else who's joined us on the Eagle and Child podcast. Thank you for joining us. We can't wait to see you next time in our next episode of the Eagle and Child Thanks so much for tuning in to the Eagle and Child podcast. That's all from us for today. If you want to support us, you can like, subscribe or drop us a review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Eagle and Child podcast. We'll catch you next time. Much love.